Welcome to the Mediate.com podcast with Veronica Kramer. Well, hey there, and welcome back to another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. I'm Veronica here, your host. And today I'm excited because we're going to be talking all about focusing on mindset to prepare parties for mediation. And I'm so excited for today's guest. Today's guest is Teresa Harlow. And here's a bit of information about Teresa. Teresa is a best-selling author, speaker, and collaboration coach. She has spent over 30 years helping teams and individuals transform their most difficult relationships into collaborative partnerships. And her latest book is Combative to Collaborative, The Co-Parenting Code. So with that, hey, Teresa, welcome to the Mediate.com podcast, and thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for having me, Veronica. This should be fun. Yeah, I'm super excited. And, you know, you had me at from combative to collaborative because I think as mediators, I mean, that's our goal, right? That's the dream to move parties from combative to collaborative. So I'm super thrilled to be talking about this topic. It is. And it isn't always so automatic, right? We have to work at it sometimes and be really intentional. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so one way I thought we could kick things off is, you know, I was uh, looking at your website in prep for today's discussion, and I saw you had this really great video that you called Lessons from Mom, Lessons I Learned from Mom. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny when we're young and our moms are telling us things, um, a lot of times when we come into our teens, we're like, yeah, mom doesn't know anything dad's not that smart or whatever, you know, in our rebellious years. And then as we get older, we start to realize they were pretty much right about everything. And of course, I've, I've come to that epiphany, just like every other human being on the planet. And as I started thinking about how I've really uh, worked through conflicts in my life, whether they were with family, my co-parent, um, co-workers, or anyone else that I encountered, I thought about the really basic things that got me from point A to point B, you know, being in this really uh, heated, conflicted state with someone to a better place. And it boiled down to two things. And I, I call them lessons for mom because that, that's exactly what they are. They're things that we all probably heard from our parents, whether it was mom or dad, that as we get older, we kind of become separate from or we forget um, and so the first lesson is if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything. And, you know, it sounds super simple, but it's not always so easy. So, you know, trying to apply that in our lives has some really basic, um, there's some really basic things you can do to make that happen. For instance, if someone says something, you know, kind of snarky to you, your immediate response is to want to come back and zap them back, right? Do the bazinga, if you will. Um, but instead of doing that, when you feel triggered like that, just take that deep breath in and go, you know, and catch yourself. That, that momentary break in the action will give you a chance to recalibrate before you move forward. So don't say anything if you have nothing nice to say. And the second lesson is to treat others the way you want to be treated. And, you know, so often, just like I was talking about the Bazinga thing, for those of us who are um, fans of Sheldon Cooper, um, it it's so easy to get caught up in the 
I'm going to come back with a, a, another snarky comment and response because I want to give them back what they just gave me. And, you know, it, it, the problem with that is that it, it's a short-term momentary thing that you're getting in exchange for damage to a longer-term goal you might have. And so treating others the way you want to be treated helps you avoid tr just treating others the way they deserve to be treated and at the same time serving your longer-term goal of, of either maintaining or improving a relationship that you need to have in your life for one reason or another. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you, you were sharing this, I was sort of thinking, I mean, the way that I can see these principles really being beneficial in mediation really is in the preparation piece, right? In, yes. in terms of, you know, talking with parties before they begin a mediation, sort of setting that expectation and letting folks know, hey, I mean, you are about to enter this difficult conversation. Chances are things are going to be said that you disagree with. Yep. <laughs> things are going to be said that, you know, might rub you the wrong way, might make you angry, might make you want to you know, respond with some snappy response back. Yeah. But if you can get to this place of, you know, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all and you know, treat others the way that you want to be treated, the, the things that we, a lot of us probably learned when we were, you know, in kindergarten, <laughs> five yep. or six years old, right? But it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when everything's going well, that's when it, it's easy to implement those things, right? It, it's easy to, yeah. to treat others the way that you want to be treated. And it's easy to, you know, withhold things that are not nice. But when you're in the throes of that anger and that frustration and disappointment and heartache or, you know, unmet expectations, conflict, whatever it is, that's where it gets harder to implement. So, yeah, I... I I, I can really see this as the sort of thing that, you know, if mediators are doing pre-mediation phone calls or conferences with parties, the importance of focusing on this mindset prep. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, and, and there's a reason why we practice for things that are coming up in our lives that are important, right? It's because if you prepare, you're probably going to be able to work through uh, anticipating different scenarios and figure out how to handle that as opposed to just reacting in the moment uh, and not giving yourself that chance to think through the most um, reasonable or helpful thing you could do in response to those triggers that, that may come up. And, and the bottom line is, you know, it, it not only serves the purpose of that specific conversation, but it serves your purpose too. I mean, look, if you've got, it, there's two things I want to add here. If you have to uh, interact with someone daily, do you really want it to be painful every time you have to have this interaction, whether it's daily or, or routinely? Um, so regardless of what you think of them as a, as a person, you're making it easier on yourself if you can ease the conflict that you have when you interact with them. And, and so you're, you're doing this not just for other people, you're doing it for you. And, and, you know, that's a really good point. And, you know, I just really want to highlight there what you said. So I love how, you know, you're talking about 
what parties are doing is really, it's not just for the benefit of the other side, right? That, you know, what they're doing when they're, when they're following these lessons from mom is it's, it's putting them in a good position, putting them in the right frame of mind. And, you know, it sort of reminds me, I've got um, a friend and colleague and, and he was actually a guest on the mediate.com podcast as well, Kwame Christian. And the kind of the technique that he uses that sounds similar to this is um, he says, assume good intent when someone does something, right? right? So that, you know, when they do something, you know, if you're interpreting it um, more negatively, it, it impacts not only how you interact with them, but also it impacts your own mindset. And so I, I like how what you're describing here is it sounds along the same theme that it's not just about um, how you interact with the other side. It's also just protecting your mindset, keeping yourself in a positive mindset so that, you know, when you're in, for example, a mediation, you know, your parties can prepare at their best. Yeah. And, um, you know, the more positive that you put out there, here's the really cool part about it. If you put the positive out there, it's really hard for somebody to keep being nasty back to you. <laughs> I mean, it's just not, it, it's going to start making them feel like I can't even say what I wanted to say. Maybe they had a bazinga, but they can't do it now because you've been too nice or you've just not, not, not given them any material to work with. Right. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I noticed when I when I have applied these lessons is that no matter how nasty someone might have been to me, if I just stick to this, don't say anything, if you've got nothing nice to say and treat others, you know, say things only that I would want to hear, do things only that I would want someone to do to me. And if you really think through, well, let me think about that. If I say this, how does that sound to me? Did I like how that that sounded if someone were saying it to me and really literally kind of work through it that way. And all that preparation is going to position you for a much better interaction with someone. And it doesn't matter whether you're heading into a mediation or calling someone for tech support about something, you know, it really applies across all those human relationships that we encounter. Yeah, absolutely. And so now I'm curious too, you mentioned that you know, your book title is Combative to Collaborative. And I know that you've got this four-step process that you teach when you do your trainings. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Sure. So the idea of this four-step process, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship reset. You know, when you need to correct course uh, or you anticipate it's going to be a... Um, contested or a, a testy interaction with someone. And the first step is to focus on your purpose. Like, why are you having this interaction? It's not so that you can fight. That's not your primary uh, purpose for having the interaction. So focus on your purpose because that will position you for remaining um, in alignment with what is important to you uh, in the long term. Second, then acknowledge the other person, empathize with them. If we're talking about a co-parent, you have something in common with them and you can say, I understand how difficult this is. I feel it too. Um, or acknowledge what hardship that they might be going through. Even if, you know, you don't necessarily, uh, 
feel all that bad about what they're going through, you can still acknowledge it because it lets them know you see them as a person, you hear them, you are listening. Um, third, then to state your desire. What is it that you want? And state it matter-of-factly, not defensively. Just lay it out there. These are the things I would like to see happen. And um, when you lay them out there very um, even-toned and just as, you know, items you're putting on a table, uh, you're not necessarily triggering. You might. And right after you state your desire, then follow that up with, and this is probably the most important step of the four, ask for their help in coming to a solution. Ask for their help in solving the problem because then you're inviting them in and you're saying, I want to hear what you have to say. And you're involving them in creating the solution. And everyone knows that if we're part of the solution, we're more likely to stick to it. Yeah. And, you know, that fourth step I find really intriguing, right? So, um, you know, as I was thinking through the other steps, I think, you know, a lot of our our, our audience will probably be familiar with those steps in, in one variation or another, because it sounds pretty similar to the mediation process, right? And I know, I know you are, you are a new mediator, you and I were able to, to meet at a recent mediation training. Um, but this fourth step, I think, sounds really powerful asking for the other party's help in solving the problem and right. that sort of on the one hand that sounds counterintuitive right because they they presumably participated in the origination of the problem yeah. um so it sounds like that could be difficult in terms of asking their help in solving it but i mean that that sounds interesting because chances are i mean their help is needed in order to get out of it that's right. It took the two of you to get to the to creating the problem. So it's more than likely going to take both of you to solve the problem. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, you know, as since we're talking about this in terms of, you know, things that mediators might be able to do in the preparation phase when they're when they're talking to each side before beginning the mediation. I mean, it sounds like there's probably a lot of emotional intelligence that's needed there, right, on the part of the participants to be able to emotionally get to the point where they are ready to ask that other party who, you know, participated in the in the development of this problem to begin with to ask for their help. I mean, do you have any tips or techniques in terms of how you can, how one can make that mind shift to yeah. actually asking the other for help. Oh my gosh. So practice makes perfect, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I am not an improv artist. I am the worst when it comes to trying to tell a joke. I can't do it. And the only way I could ever tell a joke, and even then I pretty much screw it up, is, is to like memorize it out of view of everyone I plan to tell it to, right? Yeah, uh, not necessarily the formula for being able to do stand up comedy. Um, so if you're not an improv artist, then prepare away from the situation. And, and that's I, I mean, it may sound hokey, but talk to yourself in the mirror. Heck, I practiced for this podcast. I practiced <laughs> what I might say. Why did I do that? Because I wanted it to 
to come out better. I wanted to provide uh, meaningful information that would move us all forward in this existence. Um, so, you know, whether you're a person that needs to visually write it down and, and think about the four steps and, and work your way through it that way, or practice in a mirror or practice with a friend, um, or someone else, those things may sound silly, but they're going to, to help you in that moment to recall, um, you know, those, those methods you used um, away from the situation that you can can call up in that moment and use as tools. And that makes sense. And sort of the more that we talk about this, the more I kind of start to think in my mind, kind of comparing to sports, right? Like before, you know, any of us go out there and yeah, visualize and also just the whole concept of practicing, right? Before you have any sort of sporting event, like the team practices, you have soccer practice, basketball practice, whatever the case may be. And maybe that's the sort of mindset that we need to have as mediators that before we are putting our parties in this in this mediation to have this difficult conversation about something, you know, unfortunate that's happened in the past that's created some sort of problem to try to help them move forward. Maybe we need to be encouraging them to practice to rehearse what they're going to say, how they're going to say it, you know, what sort of mindset they're going to be in, because if they, if we aren't doing that, then we run the risk that they're going to react in the moment and maybe not say the thing that's going to be most productive for helping them move forward. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, that a lot more could be accomplished to get people into a more receptive state in the preparation piece than, you know, maybe we're, we're giving it credit for, right? That's yeah. what gold is. It's like help them work through that, you know, whether it's it's giving them the four steps and saying, write these out or practice them with me right now. And just, you know, listening to what they have to say and not not necessarily commenting back, but listen to them, let them practice it several times um, and see how they progress through it. Chances are most people get better the more times they work through something. So that's interesting. And, and so I know, um, you know, you've had a chance to sort of live these principles that, that you talk about now. I mean, do you mind sharing a little bit about your story in terms of how you've lived these principles, you know, personal life, professional life? Yeah. So um, it's funny because um, I've, this is my second book, Combative to Collaborative is the second book I've written and the second book on co-parenting in particular. The first book is is, um, sorry, happily divorced. And that is more of a memoir. It's the story of how my ex-husband and I co-parented our son. Um, we divorced when he was six years old. He's now 28 and he'll tell you I had a happy childhood. So I guess we did pretty good. So, you know, I, I was told that how wonderful it was by friends and family and such that they could interact with all of us together and there was no awkwardness and they wished that it had uh, went this way maybe for them because they were a child of divorce or 
for um, other family members that they've seen go through it and not have so much success. And so I decided to write a book about it and share it because I want to see more families be able to accomplish what we did. And um, as I wrote the book, I asked my son's father, would he be involved in the process? And he thought it was intriguing. He thought, yeah, let, let's do that. Because we had had a very amicable relationship and, and remained friends for 20 years. Um, it was approaching 20 years at the point where I was writing the first book. And so I started writing it. I said, I'll share the chapters as I, as I do that. And I did. And we got to chapter one, chapter two, nice, smooth. We were talking about things in terms of the very beginning of uh, separating our stuff and how we decided to to um, uh, create our, our parenting plan and our, our division of time with our son and all of those things and where we were going to live. Then we got to chapter four and it was more about the reasons we split up that I started to kind of reveal um, because I did want the book to not just be, you know, um, clinical or methodical or whatever. I wanted it to be human and uh, include some of the bruises we both took in the process of divorce because it, it's divorce. It's not a good thing uh, inherently. And uh, so as you, after he read chapter four, he came back to me. He's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want this, this out there in the world. I'm like, what? Oh no, this is going to really help a lot of people. He's like, I don't know if I like how this is going. And then I uh, shared with him chapter five and he came back and he said, look, I'm done. I, I don't want anything to do with it. In fact, you may have to re 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 rewrite the last chapter of the book because I don't think we're going to be able to continue um, you know, communicating at all. And I was like, whoa, what happened? And so we had some pretty contentious interactions, um, mostly in email, tried to have a conversation on the phone, turned out we each hung up on each other a couple of times. It got really bad and it hadn't been that way almost ever, like not even in the early days. Um, and I was like, this cannot happen. I cannot write a book called Happily Divorced that's all about positive co-parenting and, and how we remain friends and have to say at the end, everything was great until I wrote a book about it. So, oh, man. so I asked him, I said, let's take a time out from this. And I had another um, job, another career. I was, I was in the uh, middle of a very busy uh, situation. And I just stepped away from it, stepped back from it, gave it some time to breathe, gave myself and him some time to breathe. Um, and we didn't talk about it. I didn't write. And then um, one day it occurred to me, you know what? He said that it sounded, it the story sounded like it was somebody else's story, not his story. So he was feeling like it didn't um, portray him fairly. So I thought, well, okay, Teresa, eat your own dog food here. Apply your rules, read it and think of yourself as him. Like put yourself in his shoes. Would you want to read those things about you if you were him? And so I read the whole book that I had written. By this point, I had went ahead and I had finished writing the book uh, as we were going back and forth on these chapters. And I read the book and I got to that chapter four and I started feeling like I was cringing a bit. 
And I'm like, ooh, mm, ah, don't like how that landed on me as him. And I thought, he's right. It, it, it wasn't that it wasn't necessarily truthful from my perspective, but it was just that. And my whole point of wanting to involve him was to bring in his perspective, but I didn't want it to be this go back and forth sort of thing. Well, he said this and she said that. I wanted it to show how we had worked through those things and gotten to the other side. So I read the whole book and then I revised massive portions of it and brought in balances to it to share some of the things that were kind of difficult for me to say about myself, you know, and expose some of the things that maybe I didn't go, I didn't do so well either and balance it out. And I went back to him and I said, Hey, you know, I've rewritten big chunks of the book. I would love for you to give it another try and, and read it. And, um, if you, uh, would do that, I, you know, I think that you might see it differently. So would you do that? And he said, yes, I'll take a look. And he told me, yeah, I'll probably get to it in a week or two. I'm really busy, but I knew he would be way too curious to wait that long. So, um, I got home and I had taken him the transcript printed out and, uh, got home about four hours later, I get a text hey, I'm on chapter four or I'm past chapter four and so far so good. And then another couple hours goes by and, you know, he's like really flying through this thing. Apparently he's a faster reader than me. And uh, he's like, so far I'm at chapter eight and nothing's been highlighted, uh, you know, because I had said, let's highlight anything that still is, is making you feel triggered and we'll talk about it. And so he eventually got through the whole thing and he said, this is a much improved version. It feels balanced. It feels honest. And um, I'd be happy to write the forward for it. So. Wow. Yeah. I so just, that was, that was a right? complete 180. I know. And I was like, I couldn't see me just trashing the whole project. I had put my heart and soul into it. And I really feel strongly about the idea that both of these writings are going to help a lot of people. So, you know, I felt like I was too far down the road to just throw it away, but I, I had to focus on what was important. I couldn't just move forward and say, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. And you know, too bad if he doesn't like it because he'll come to terms with it. That was just, I couldn't handle the consequence of that because look, even though our son is grown, we still have, weddings and grandkids ahead of us. And I don't want a lifetime of awkward interactions and difficulties with this other person in my life. It's just not worth it. Yeah. And, and one thing that amazed me and I wanted to point out, um, so it looks like, I mean, you were a mediator before you became a mediator, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I mean, because so. <laughs> you had that, you had that, um, that ability to, to take a step back when you had sort of reached that point of impasse, which is, which is a common technique in mediation that when parties reach impasse, I mean, you take a break, give some, give everyone a chance to sort of, you know, debrief, reflect, take some space, take some time, and then take another look at it. And, you know, the other point I wanted to bring up too, and I can't remember if I saw this on your website or one of your videos, 
But one of the things that came through loud and clear in that, that example that you shared too, was just how like you looked for the opportunity to try to change things. Um, Cause it sounds like that's really what you did. And I know you mentioned that in one of your videos, I think. Yeah. I think that um, you sometimes have to get creative. The obvious um, or the best solutions aren't always going to come from you. Um, and if you listen to what's coming at you from others, there may be nuggets in there that you can pick up and apply. Like when he said, it doesn't sound very balanced to me when I'm reading it. I was like, well, what did he do to arrive at that? Oh, he read it. Maybe I should read it and, and, you know, hear it as if I'm him. And so, you know, he kind of fed me the, the solution for arriving at the, at the right um, understanding of where he was coming from. And a lot of times we just need to do that and get creative, get beyond uh, sticking to a position. Yeah. And, you know, how did you get to that point? And I'm just sort of curious because I'm imagining, you know, I'm reflecting back on some of my mediations and I know it can be hard for parties to hear something negative about themselves from the other side, like hear some a position that that lands negatively on them i mean how were you able to sort of take that step back not get offended by it and instead do some self-reflection because i've found in in my mediations that's that's hard to do (laughs) those are usually like when i'm when i'm sharing information from one side to the other especially if i'm doing a shuttle mediation like that sort of kind of potentially offending or inflammatory content, I'm trying to reframe that a little bit to like sanitize it because I'm always concerned that, you know, it's going to offend the other party and that'll be the end of mediation. I mean, how were you able to take that that statement and instead use it as an opportunity for self-reflection? Well, um, you know, not to be redundant, but I was laser focused on what was important to me. Um, The two things that were important to me when, when he said, no, stop, stop writing the book. Um, We're not friends anymore was great. The rest of my life in front of me now as a co-parent with him is going to be difficult and we're going to lose this friendship and, and, the, the ability to trust and rely on each other as parenting partners, um, that was a consequence I wasn't willing to accept. And, um, you know, so focusing on that and focusing on the other aspect of that, which was, it was also very important to me to find a way to creatively keep going with the project. So, you know, my first step, I focused on what was important and really that got, that got me there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that the thought that rings in my mind right now is you focused on your interests, right? (laughs) You focused, you you focused on what you were trying to achieve. And and the other thing I'd say is um, it's hard to come to terms with this, but it's true. So, um, if you're hearing the same criticism over and over again from, let's say, multiple people, 
And part of his criticism, I think he used terms like, you know, I don't think he used the exact term, you're direct, but you're very bla brazen or whatever, whatever his terminology was. Look, it wasn't the first time I had ever been told that and he wasn't the only person. So at some point you have to be self, uh, self-aware um, and realize that if you continue with the same behavior, you're going to get the same result. And if you've been told uh, you're, you're direct and you're abrasive, maybe is a better word, uh, by several people, then how can you change them from feeling that way? You own that. Sure, everybody owns how they react to someone else, but you own what you put out in the world. And if I want, I can either accept that that's how people feel about me, or I can take action to try to modify that. And so, you know, I guess through my failures of previous interactions, I learned that I had to step back. I couldn't just barrel through, you know, the, the bull in the China shop just doesn't work. Uh, so if I don't want the China to break, I got to do something than, <laughs> than just be the bull. Um, so there you yeah, go. well, what's, what's the saying, um, failure or the, that's the stepping stone to success, right? Oh yeah. And I got lots of stepping stones <laughs> that I've had thrown in my way. So, Hey, <laughs> and, and, and you've had lots of success coming from it too, though, right? Well, it was bound to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Teresa, this has been such great fun. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And it hey, if fast. others, yeah, I know, right? Time flies when you're having fun. Right. <laughs> and hey, if others want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about their, your work, how can they do so? Yeah. So my website is TeresaHarlow.com. And uh, even if you misspell my name, it'll still come to me because I bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm also on social media. Usually it's under Teresa Harlow, one, two, three, which is my birthday. So now you all know <laughs> birthday wishes. Um, or you can, you know, get the book on either Amazon um, and the audio is on Amazon and iTunes as well on Audible. So very cool. All right. Well, hey, thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Veronica. This was a lot of fun. All right, friends. Well, that wraps up another great episode of the Mediate.com podcast. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Mediate.com. For more information about Mediate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.mediate.com.